Hello. And it's time for blog number 27 here at Tea with Dee. Welcome. Sit back, relax. I'm going to tell you a story about diversity, equality or equity, depending on the word you use, and inclusion, where diversity, equality or equity and inclusion meets eye contact in communication. So it's a mouthful, but bear with me. So here's how I imagine it. A cocktail party filled with all the elements of communication. There's emphasis over there in the sari and posture in her tea-length dress over by the bar. Volume is in the hijab and telling a story to a group of rapt listeners. Everyone's here. Or are they? Just then. Diversity, equality, equity, and inclusion, who goes by die, comes in from the snowstorm raging outside. She shakes off her parka and fluffs her hair, a cascade of fluffy snow crystals jettison out into the air around her. Hanging her coat, she comes down the stairs into the party area. Several friends go over to welcome her and she smiles and hugs them all happily. This is a party where COVID hasn't been invited, just so you know. Suddenly, Eye contact appears at the group's periphery. He's dressed sharply and confident, stands by his side, looking dapper in a three-piece. He thrusts his hand forward, simultaneously saying to Di, I don't think we've met. His look of expectation falters as he starts to realize that Di is neither looking at him nor taking his proffered hand. The group titters awkwardly and finally Confidence pipes up and says, it's lovely to meet you. I'm Confidence. He doesn't offer his hand and he bows slightly towards Di. She relaxes visibly and gently answers, I'm Di. The tension in the group dissipates. So what just happened? I tell this allegorical tale to illustrate a few things. First, there are many, many diverse elements that can go to a communication party and not everyone is invited every time. Second, each of these elements has a personality of their own and interacts with each other in a variety of ways. Third, and most important for our purposes today, these component pieces often operate differently when encountering the notions and realities of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Of course, Di is the darling of the party right now. That's not a criticism, by the way. It's just a simple statement of fact. And that's great, actually. So many years ago, I ended up at a party like this. By that, I mean, I learned that when eye contact and die met, it wasn't smooth sailing. Eye contact, being a regular at the party, thought he knew how to act. After all, what else is there to do when you meet someone but offer your hand and introduce yourself with confidence? In all fairness to eye contact, the parties, 
up until tonight's, had featured a fairly regular cast of characters, and he knew that he, being eye contact, was a major celebrity at these events. Until tonight, that is. So all of a sudden, Di was there, and when he tried to engage with her in his usual manner, it flopped. Why? Isn't, isn't eye contact always appropriate? Well, <clears throat> clearly he wasn't in this case, but still, why? <laughs> so my next section I'm calling, oh, you mean the way I do it isn't the way everyone does it? So back to my origin party the party where I learned that eye contact isn't always the tried and true guest I'd been taught he was. When I was 24, I was offered a position as an adjunct professor in communication and presentation. Yeah, I was young. I grew, I'd grown up in a family business. So as far as diversity was concerned, I'd experienced about as much as a small town Southern Alberta girl could manage. Um, which wasn't a huge amount. But from about the age of 14, I was on the floor helping customers. And many of the things I learned about diversity, I learned the hard way, like many of us. So when I started as a prof, and I'd actually been teaching for five years at this, at this point, so that's another long story, I felt nervous, but competent. I was a walking encyclopedia of theory and practice in my field, and I was aware that communication styles were often geographically and culturally bounded. For all of this knowledge, I didn't put two and two together when I was faced with reality. And even when reality was stark, it still took me a while. So my first sections or classes of presentation communication were uniquely diverse. The groups in the class were roughly one-third exchange students from a technical institute in Japan, one-third Latter-day Saints or Mormons, uh, returned missionaries or RMs as we call them, and farm kids from Saskatchewan. And the last third were multi-aged participants from the two closest First Nations reservations to the college where I taught. So it was the Blood Tribe or the Kainai Nation, and the Pagan, or the Pikani Nation. The challenges of that kind of diversity were manifold. And remember, this was my first time out. So now, <clears throat> if I just went into this with a fact dump and a rigid structure, then it would have been an adapt and survive model for the students. My plan, however, was an adapt and survive model for me. I actually want the people I work with to learn and to enjoy and to apply and to value our time together. So it's a bit of a hard sell when you teach the one discipline and skill that most people would ostensibly choose death over doing. So young prof, dreaded subject, wildly varied classroom. Yeah, many Many things were learned that first semester, I assure you. But the one that made the most profound impression and fundamentally changed me as a person, a teacher, and a coach had to do with our friend eye contact. 
So in a presentation communication course, in sort of the Western model, you can expect a few things. One major one being you have to present and communicate. Seems straightforward, right? Wrong. But I didn't know I was wrong yet. Funny thing about colleges is uh, most of them expect you to provide grades for students. And they also expect that those grades will be based on some sort of metric. When you have something as subjective as my discipline, it gets murky. So generally, we resort to observable behaviors, such as the length of time, the structure, and you guessed it, eye contact. So as part of my marking rubric, I'd allocated a decent percentage to that component. This was a long time ago, but if memory serves, it was about 5% of the overall grade. So the process is straightforward. Students are given the assignments and the presentation dates. They're taught the content. They work on the content inside and outside of the classroom in order to develop deeper understanding and deploy the new skill sets. And on the day of the presentation, we would take the stage and I would sit at my desk with grading sheets and timers and a slew of pencils and away we went. It didn't take me long to realize that there was a pattern. My Aboriginal or First Nations students were scoring between one and zero on eye contact. They knew the concept. They understood the assignment. They'd shown eye contact and classroom interactions, yet almost without fail, they neglected to exhibit the behavior during the graded presentation. So being fair-minded, I had no choice but to score them based on my observations. But it bothered me a great deal. I asked around for potential explanations from my colleagues and no one had anything to offer. It wasn't until a mature First Nations woman actually came to my student to ask some questions that I saw the light or the light smacked me upside the head. Your pick. She and I already had a good rapport. So I thought, well, maybe. And I asked. Her answer left me gobsmacked. So simply put, um, the students had been taught that you don't make eye contact. So culturally, they'd been taught, not in the classroom. So you don't make eye contact in formal situations with someone viewed as an elder, as a sign of respect. I was, being the teacher, the, the expert, the elder, and their neglect around eye contact was actually their way of honoring me. I felt like the biggest turd ever. When I brought this up with a colleague and until then mentor, her response further floored me. Her position was that all students needed to learn to make eye contact and it wasn't her problem if they had cultural learning that differed from the prescribed content. So when in Rome was more or less her stance. Um, so that left me wondering, well, well, what's my stance? Because I didn't find the situation quite so easy to dismiss. 
Perhaps it was my age. Perhaps it was because of my upbringing. I really don't know. But I was left feeling like I couldn't just simplify the situation and then expect it to go away. It didn't feel right. I was torn. So as an instructor, my job was to teach students the right way to do presentations, right? And that meant indoctrinating them to the Western English mode, right? After all, I mean, when they went out into the world, that's how they were going to be judged by allowing them. And you can't see my, maybe if you're listening to this, you can't see my little fingers doing the allowing them to continue with their culturally mandated yet mistaken avoidance of eye contact. You know, it would, it would only harm them in the long term, right? I mean, how often were they going to be in front of audiences that shared my framework and expectations? And wouldn't those audiences, audiences subsequently judge the students' efficacy and professionalism based on such behavioral markers as eye contact? Wouldn't it be disingenuous to pretend anything else was true? So, in other words, was I not setting them up for failure if I taught them anything other than the dominant mode. So on the flip side, I knew instinctively that forcing one cultural mode of expression upon another by way of giving or withholding marks and and therefore access to future opportunities that come from good grades, I, I knew that, that this sort of hegemonic behavior was inherently wrong. I couldn't necessarily articulate it. I sure as hell didn't know the word hegemonic. I just sensed it. So further, with such a diverse group of students, how far could I afford to go down the road of cultural relativism? One set of rubrics for each rough grouping of students? I could see where that would implode pretty quickly. Frankly, I didn't know what to do. And no one seemed willing or able to help me. So. I did what I have so often done since when faced with similar situations. And believe me, there have been a lot, just my luck. And um, I started a conversation. At the risk of appearing to be unknowledgeable, which is enough much professors in general, at least back then, I just sat down with the students and told the truth. I asked questions, I listened to answers. I heard all kinds of things, um, things that made me feel bad that I hadn't asked the questions beforehand. And I learned other things up to and including that this was the very first time any of them, any of them had been engaged in such a conversation. And just to note, I didn't just have a conversation with the third that were Aboriginal students. It was the entire classroom that I talked to. So I learned in a very few, very short days that so much of what I knew was culturally bounded, which is obvious in retrospect, but this was the first time. So that was the beginning of my journey into cultural competence. And in many ways, it was also my students. So in the end, we all agreed that we would have the students define their own parameters and I would mark against those. It was the only thing that seemed to make sense. It, it wasn't perfect, 
and it didn't address the biases they would still face in the larger world, but at least I hoped it would create awareness about how to start conversations that might lead to change in the future. So this was a long time ago. I don't know how the story continued and I don't care to speculate. All I know is that this experience was a sea change moment for me. So returning back to our party goers and the awkward exchange between dye and eye contact. It's going to take a while for them to get to know each other. It won't perhaps be as smooth as either would have hoped, but like many quality relationships, they will figure it out and they will be better for it. So that's my story for today. And if you want to join a group of women setting about to own their voices, their lives, and their futures. Well, then, how about you consider joining Tea with Dee's private Facebook group for support, resources, and weekly lives. So there is a link in the text of this uh, particular blog posting. And of course, if you just go to the Tea with Dee website, www.teawithdee, that's T-E-E, with D, the letter D, dot com. There's all kinds of additional resources and places to sign up for Facebook groups and regular updates and all of that good stuff. So I hope to see you soon. Bye for now.